Good morning, everyone. I think they thought I needed a Bible. Like I, I come with my own. <laughs> Just, well, it's great to be here with you all and looking forward to what the Lord is going to do. My wife, Leela, here in the front row with me today. We left our teenage children because we're always trying to leave them. Uh, but in any event, and we also have a 10-year-old, but that's another story. She's a joy and a delight. We love our kids. I always kid around. Someone's actually going to believe someday that I don't like my kids. I really do like them. Okay. Joshua chapter 24 is where we're going to be. Once you get there, I'd love for you to join me in standing, and we will read a single verse together. Joshua chapter 24, I'd like to ask you to stand. We will take a look at verse 15. Joshua chapter 24, verse 15, and if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your holy word and for the opportunity, Lord, here to study this morning in freedom, with no sense of fear. Lord, so many of our brothers and sisters in the world cannot say the same thing. We are privileged people. We pray, Lord, this morning that as we have come here today that you will speak to us. You will minister to our hearts. You will draw us close to yourself. And God, you will inspire our actions as we take in your word together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody agreeing said, amen. You may be seated. I will not hide the fact that I love the beginning of the year. It is a joy to look forward, to anticipate what is before us, and to strategize for a more faithful Christian walk. Along those lines, it's not difficult to find passages of Scripture that clearly call us to consider that Christian ethic. The passage that has most impressed me at this time is the one we have just read. These are, in my estimation, the finest among Joshua's final words to Israel. Before we consider them in earnest... Allow me to quickly, and by quickly I mean take the next two hours, to quickly recap what precedes this part of the address. You can follow along in verse 1, though we're not going to study every particular verse, we will be recapping. As you can see from verse 1, Joshua has called a gathering of the leadership of Israel. Elders, chiefs, judges, and officers are all present in Shechem. They are gathered before God. And it is clear by the 17 times that the word I appears, that it is he, God, who is speaking through Joshua, furnishing them with a brief history lesson. You and I may bristle at the thought of another history lesson. But that is often precisely the root of our problem. History is only a burden 
to those who have not experienced any pain. It's fascinating how important our personal health histories become when we experience a crisis. We ask the questions, what did that person do? Or what, how did they handle this challenge? These become staple questions for us in times of pain and crisis. There was one speaker who said this at a high school graduation, there are three things you should never forget. Who you are, where you've come from, and what you stand for. I'd add a fourth thing, when is lunch, but that's another story. But this is the danger that is facing the people of Israel as they gathered at Shechem, itself a place of interesting history. It is the location where God has called his people over and over again, repeatedly, at least five times, to a place of commitment. Suffice it to say, history is an important teaching tool. In the latter half of the New Testament, the Apostle Peter seems compelled to write the Christians of his day a repeat lesson. Why did he repeat himself? He wanted them to have a reminder after his decease. 2 Peter 1 verse 15. Paul would say the same things to the Philippians because it was safe. The word there refers to being unable to fail. Repetition allows God's people to rejoice with security in their walk with the Lord. Philippians 3 verse 1. And that's the intent of the Lord through Joshua here. The nation's roots, as they were reviewed, were not necessarily flattering. Their progenitors, Terah and Abraham, were originally idolaters in the Ur of the Chaldees, verse 2 and 3. Their national ancestors were slaves in a land filled with idols until the Lord crushed those enemies and freed Israel from their Egyptian slavery, verse 4 and 5. God delivered Israel from active threats, drowning the Egyptian army, and he dealt with the unseen passive threats of Balak and Balaam in verse 6 through 10. You'll remember that wonderful story where Balaam is called out by Balak to come and curse the people. And he would only bless them, leading Balak to say, if you have nothing terrible to say, say nothing at all, my paraphrase. But they would not be cursed because God kept them from being cursed. Then this very generation that is standing here listening to Joshua experienced the power of God as they successfully marched through the idol-infested land of Canaan that they were now sitting in from Jericho Onward, verse 11 and 12. Speaking through Joshua, the Lord summarizes the entirety of their current status as a developing nation inside her new borders in verse 13. I have given you a land for which you did not labor and cities which you did not build and you dwell in them. You eat of the vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. Is this not a succinct testimony of all Christians? God has done it all. He has acted graciously on our behalf 
bringing us into a relationship with him. We would never have known him had he not revealed himself to us. We have come into a land, a spiritual walk with God through Jesus Christ that we would never have believed was possible. He has built our lives upon the rock and he's fed us with the best of his land. You and I did not deliver ourselves, nor would we have ever been able to imagine, much less give ourselves this life with him. In Christ, we have been delivered from slavery and been brought into great riches. Do you understand that? Do you believe that and know that? That that is your testimony? As the Hebrews inherited their physical land, you and I have inherited a spiritual land. And for those that take a moment to, the, to consider their own personal history, it's a place of sweet grace and blessing. And by that, by the way, many of you have a history. All of us have a history. Some of us have a history that we wouldn't want to talk about in mixed company. Some of us have a history that others would not believe about ourselves. When you consider that, isn't it a miracle that you're sitting here? Are you not a miracle right now? As you look at where you have come from? Given the history and summation of Israel's privilege, it really seems odd that the next line would be necessary for the people of God to hear. And understand this, please hear me. What is about to be said is said to people with a rich history of deliverance from idolatry into a life of blessing. This is not said to this is not said to heathens. This is not said to somebody outside of the commonwealth of Israel. You understand this? This is said to the people of God. Joshua speaks this from his and God's heart. Verse 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. Now that you are in the land, now that you are experiencing the fullness of his blessing, now that you have reviewed your history, fear the Lord. In light of the fact that you were once a powerless and hopeless slave of sin, until Jesus entered into your life to free you, Fear him, revere, respect, and live your life with an attitude that belies a responsibility to him above every other loyalty. One of my favorite Bible college professors said this to me many years ago, to fear the Lord is to fear nothing else. Solomon will later call this mental acknowledgement the beginning 
of wisdom, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. And it's not that it starts with wisdom per se, it's that wisdom is the foundation. It's built upon reverence, fear for the Lord. The first and most important element of a life before God. It is the mentality that all other attitudes and actions are built upon. A reverence, a fear of the Lord. And I might want you to ask yourself this question. You might say this to yourself, looking at yourself in the proverbial mirror. Do I fear the Lord? Do I fear him more with each passing year? How will I address my fear of him as I enter into this new year? And do not believe for a second, believers, that this happens or occurs naturally as you age. This is what we think about ourselves, that somehow we come into the Lord, we come into a relationship with him, and over time, we start to believe that we're the ones who actually engineered this thing. It's very much akin to when Israel came into Jericho. And then what do we find next? They win one battle. Does anyone remember their incredible battle strategy? They're going to walk around the city seven times, right? Seven days, one time a day, and then on the seventh day, seven times. And then what are they going to do? Blow it up? What were they going to do? Was it dynamite? Were they going to use swords? No, they were going to yell. And what would happen? The walls would fall down. But then they get the idea, after Jericho, they go to Ai. God, we're not even going to ask God about this one. Look how small this little city is. We're just going to take a few of our people. What do they know about battles? What do they know about winning a war? What do they know about strategy? Nothing. But that's how we are as Christians. We believe we came into this thing. Somehow we found ourselves. We, we, we really, and we write, we rewrite our own history. Thinking, oh, we know what we're doing. And before long, we've moved quite a ways away from fear of the Lord. We must keep an eye on that fear gauge, especially as we age and we think ourselves strong. If this is not your first, your primary concern as a Christian, the cracks at that foundation level will eventually reveal serious and fatal flaws. The fear of the Lord is to hate, hate all evil, Proverbs 8, 13. And there's several other admonitions that define the fear of the Lord in the book of Proverbs. I would encourage you to read the book of Proverbs today. And find all of them. But Joshua admonishes this gathering to fear him and serve him. When you fear the Lord in your heart, service will be the natural response. The Apostle Paul adds great clarity to this in a verse that you all know, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable, reasonable service, worship. As with the Jews in Joshua's time, so with the church today. 
And I want to underscore this and have you understand this. This is because of what he has done for us. This is because of what he's doing in us. We love him because he first loved us. Our response of service is love toward God. We're not earning things. We're not trying to merit heaven. We can't do that. This is because he has done these things in our life. This is now the natural response. As with the Jews, so with the church, because of what you were, where you would be, and what he has blessed you with, it's natural, reasonable for you to serve him. Joshua tells the people, though, that there is a kind of service that reverence, that fear of the Lord will produce. They are to serve him in sincerity and in truth. Sincerity, it speaks of originally wholeness. It refers to an entirety. God doesn't want you to part yourself out. Anybody here been to a pick apart before? We've all of us have been to a we want to save a few bucks. We've all gone to a pick apart. Well, we think our Christian life is a little bit like that. God, I'll serve you with my left hand, but my right hand's got plenty of time to do whatever it wants. I'll serve you with Sunday, but boy, Monday through Saturday is mine. God doesn't want us to part ourselves out, to compartmentalize ourselves. Joshua tells his people that only a whole life is worthy of this holy God. Jesus did not die to get a part of us, but to have the right to all of us because he has given all of himself. And when we understand this, Serving him with our entire being seems entirely rational. Serve him in sincerity, wholeness, and truth. In our language, that seems a bit redundant because you would say sincere and truth are sort of the same idea in English, right? Two things here, when there are synonymous words in the Hebrew language, it's a way of strengthening the one concept. So there is that. But this word truth conveys the meaning of stability. There is in the idea a firm, resigned, determined heart. This person is true. If you are taking a course, you are headed in a direction, you are headed true wherever it is you're headed. You've heard of true north? When we say that, what are, we, what are we meaning? We're meaning this guy's hanging right on north. He's headed true north. Or there are true fans. For example, a true fan stays with their team, whether they are winners or losers. They don't just join up when the team gets Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and then chokes in the playoffs like the Seattle Slippers do. <laughs> no basketball fans? Okay. Football fans. Many of us became Rams fans when they came into town. Yesterday, some of us left the team. But a true fan, somebody who is a true fan, hangs on, and they will always be that thing. You know about them that they will be where they were when you left them. Because they're a true follower, a true fan, a true disciple. That's what Joshua's hitting upon. 
You might be thinking, this is what I want. That's what I want to be. I want to be a sincere, whole, and true follower of the Lord. And if that's what you're thinking, you're headed in the right direction. Joshua's offered us two positive directives, but he turns to challenge them with one negative. In essence, they are to put on fear and sincerity to mark their service. Why does he need to say this? Because of what they've been putting on. They cannot continue in this manner before the Lord without also putting away their idols. Turn aside from them. Be done with that old way of life. When Joshua here refers to the river, don't think that he's referring to the Jordan River. Notice that that word river in most of your translations will be capitalized he is referring back to the river, the Euphrates River, that Terah and Abraham crossed when they left Ur of the Chaldees. That's how old Israel's relationship is to idolatry. Now, this is both astounding and incredibly relevant. Terah and Abraham, listen to the message. Think about what he's telling them. They left Ur of the Chaldees because its idolatry failed to satisfy their progenitors. Egypt, a land of gods, a land of false gods. All the judgments that God laid upon Egypt, each one was related to an Egyptian god. That land was decimated by God. Verse 7, you saw. Your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. Balak, another idolater, sought to curse Israel while looking down upon their gathering, but found that his prophet for hire could do nothing but bless them because of God's intervention. Idolatry has been a constant backdrop to the movement of the people of God. Finally, all the idolatrous nations, the Perizzites, the Hittites, all those ites, they're not a ite. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, anyway, uh, in any event, all of those ites were idolatrous nations that were just dispossessed by their God. God proving to be... So so much more powerful than them. Look at verse 11 and 12. But I delivered them, those nations, into your hand. How did he do it? I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out from before you. Also, the two kings of the Amorites. But not with your sword or with your bow. Israel's God had done all of this, even employing the hornets. So how is it possible, friends? All this rich history, how is it possible that Israel would still need to be told to put away their gods? Because even at this point in history, with all this history, there was still a temptation to turn back and run back to them. Laban was unable to find 
his gods when he came searching. But Jacob buried his gods where? His family had gods. Where did Jacob bury those gods? Do you know where? I'll tell you where. Right where they're standing right now in Shechem. Genesis chapter 35, verse 4. Throughout the monarchy, God's people vacillated between serving the true God and idols. As you read through First and Second Kings, this afternoon, after you read through Proverbs, you're going to be busy. Look for the statements that say high places, elevated places. That is a place of worship of false idols or worshiping God in a false way. Both were going on. The Lord himself, listen to this, on the day that Joshua was inaugurated. We're having an inauguration this week, right? Isn't that happening this week? A couple of days? On Joshua's inauguration day, the Lord revealed this to him. Imagine, you're going to take over the leadership of the nation of Israel. This is what God tells you. This is Deuteronomy 31, verse 16. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, God's will rest with your fathers. You're going to die. And this people will rise and play the harlot with the gods of the foreigners of the land where they, may, where they go to be among them. And they will forsake me and break my covenant which I have made with them. Okay, who wants to be Joshua and take this job? That's how it's going to go. It's not like, it's not as if there's somebody who's prognosticating that potentially there's going to be a way in which this group goes. This is God saying, this is going to happen. God's people have always had to put away their idols. And it's the same for you and me. Idols, as you know, are not just figurines or statues that men bow before. Idols represented concepts that you and I relate to personally and very easily. For example, people bowed to Baal, but they were actually doing so because they bowed to their businesses. They worshipped Ashtoreth, supposedly, for providing a good year of crops, but they really were worshipping pleasure. Sexual pleasure. Sex, money, pleasure, security, and entertainment. Which of those gods did we not worship before the Lord rescued us? How often, even now, are we called back to bring our value and our and our concepts, to bring our worship back to these concepts again. To forego our trust in the Lord and to trust in ourselves so that we would have these things. And how this manifests, I mean, it's different for everybody, but say, for example, you're a single person and you know the Lord says, do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. You know he says that, but so far at church, you haven't seen an unbeliever, or you haven't seen a believer, rather, that you're attracted to. Oh, well, you know, I can't find anybody in church. I might as well go find anybody out there. Obviously, God's making an exception, or else he'd bring a hot dude or a hot woman into our fellowship. 
And he hasn't done that yet, so he must, be, he must not be able to take care of that. So I'm going to go down the road and find whoever I can find. You're breathing? Here, come over with me. Maybe that's the way people think about it. So we forego our trust in what God says because something hasn't happened yet and we tend to worship our own idea. We have now given our value over, our worship over to our own intellect. And maybe we've called it a relationship and we're living for that. We worship, we bow at that, at that altar. The pleasure of a relationship, of companionship, sexual fulfillment, all those things. And the people who do that, you can talk to anybody. You can talk to anybody I know. People who shortcut the process later on are very sad they didn't listen to the Lord. I don't know a one that says, that was the best thing I ever did was to not trust Jesus <laughs> and do it myself. Boy, that really worked out for me. Not a single person has ever said such a thing. But do you see why God, through Joshua, has to remind these people and why you and I must be reminded of it as well? And some of you are already objecting. I can hear it. I can hear it in your minds. Those of you that are not thinking about football or what you need to shop for this afternoon or when I'll be done or why it is I keep getting invited here. <laughs> I've been here three times. It's uh, two more than I normally would be. You might think, oh, Frank, this is the Old Testament. New Testament doesn't say anything about idols. Oh, oh, really? You know, the last author of the New Testament says this in 1 John chapter 5, verse 21. The last thing he says, keep yourselves from idols. He has to tell the church to keep themselves from idols. Serve the Lord, Joshua says. That's the antidote to serving idols. At the very least, don't keep vacillating between the two. Listen to the first half of verse 15. And, and if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. Now, this verse begins with a very interesting choice by the King James, New King James translators. The word in question can be rendered evil, it's true, but the better translation is probably displeasing. The NASB uses the word disagreeable. The NIV employs the word undesirable. Any of these words give us the better sense of what he's speaking to them about. Because serving the Lord, I, newsflash, this is not fake news, newsflash, the, the work of the Lord, the service of the Lord, what he calls us to do, will not hardly ever agree with your flesh. Anybody finding that to be true? How many of us, when we read the word of God, I mean, just this just happened to me yesterday, and I, I'm rebuking myself in front of all of you. Yesterday, I was standing impatiently in a line. And it made me say on my Facebook page, my, my impatience, and now that I think about it, I'm, as I confess to you, 
I wrote, I, I really hate pandemics. <laughs> and all because I'm standing in a line at Trader Joe's. But this last week in our home fellowship for, for uh, Philippians that our church does, we studied a verse that said, do all things without complaining. And so I want to thank the Lord for rebuking or convicting me now in front of all of you <laughs> for that. I'll probably post the better verse later on to my Facebook. My flesh wants to complain. The Bible says, do all things without complaining. Who do I worship? Do I worship the Lord or do I worship me? Those are those moments that reveal that. So sometimes we might understand if it's displeasing to you to serve the Lord. Do you understand? This might not be what you desire. Your flesh will not want to follow after this. They may not want to serve him, but they cannot think that they will serve him and serve some other entity at the same time. That's why Joshua says, choose. Again, this goes back to sincerity. You can't be Christ's servant and serve yourself. You, it can't happen. No matter how much a person wants this to be true, it can never be. No man has ever successfully served two masters. You'll remember this statement. Jesus made this inspired and authoritative comment, Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, materialism, things of this world. And that's indeed the issue, love and loyalty. Unlike the gods, the so-called other in parentheses gods, the God of the Bible, the true God calls for his people to love him exclusively. Deuteronomy 6.4, the great Shema is the backbone of the entire law. What does it say? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. That love issues in loyalty and demands single-hearted devotion. So if the people of God did not want to serve the Lord, they had plenty of other options available to them. He says, you could serve the gods of the Babylonians. You could serve the gods of the Amorites. And I can almost see Joshua making this last comment under his breath. In whose land you dwell. Do you get what he's saying? These gods couldn't stop our God from taking their land. And you're living in their land. They're powerless to help you when they can't stop the God you've been serving. The irony is that each of these gods had failed miserably, but they could still serve them. The gods that you've been delivered from, 
you can still serve them. But didn't they fail you? Before you came to Jesus, didn't you realize that they were fail? They, were, there was, they, they could not succeed in bringing you a holy life or, or, or bringing you joy or causing forgiveness to rush through your body and the mercy of God to cleanse you from sin. Aren't you aware that they failed? And yet, people of God, they continue to kind of run back and maybe it's a little drink here and a drink there or maybe it's a little of this there and, and a little of watching this kind of thing there. Those things failed The truth is that each of us will serve something. But there is a second truth that is embedded here, and that is the people of God. They could not serve the true God and another God simultaneously, and they could not think that they could not serve something. There are no morally neutral people on the planet. Anyone who tells you that is a liar or they just don't understand theology. Nobody is neutral. We're all serving something. You are serving something right now. There was an adage made by a very famous American prophet. Many of you will know his name, Bob Dylan. There are some of you who even like him, which I don't understand. I can't understand the word the guy says. They have to be written down and transcribed. You know, I mean, just I don't understand how people, anyway, you might like him if I'm offending you. Uh, I wish I were sorry. <laughs> I don't know why you like Bob Dylan. We can fight afterward. My wife will defend me, I think. But he said something that's always true. You're going to have to serve somebody. You and I were built to worship, to have purpose. The issue will always be where we will place that worship. What master, though, could you serve that's been more kind, loving, merciful, and consistent than Yahweh? Serving him brings benefit after benefit for all of eternity. Serving the gods of the nations meant slavery and demeaning themselves under a capricious, opportunistic priesthood that whipped its inheritance up into, into frenzied action. Worshiping something less than God doesn't elevate you. It doesn't bring you up. It doesn't raise who you are qualitatively. If you worship something less than the Lord, you are lessening the image of God in you. You are dehumanizing your own self. For Joshua, it's clear. The nation has a choice to make between the omnipotent God that has affected their greatest success or the gods that had fallen before him. And that's true today. 
You may worship the God that saved you, that made you what you are. Or serve yourself. You know why, folks? You know why I say that? Because all these names that these Old Testament people put on the Baals or the Ashtoreths or the Milcoms or the Molechs, actually Milcom and Molech may be the same God. Some people believe today. Whatever anyone names them, because they don't truly exist, what they are is just a superimposition of their own desire upon another name. So in essence, people who worship false gods are actually worshiping themselves. Because I want business to be the big thing in my life. I'll put up an altar to the God of business. But ultimately, it's me wanting to worship what I want from my business. Does that make sense to you? You call it whatever you want, but because it doesn't exist, it has to be you. It has to be me. This leads us to one of the greatest statements, and finally, all introduction beyond, <laughs> the greatest statements ever recorded by this amazing man of God. Listen to this again. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, I say that here, and you're looking at me and going, oh, that, okay, but you're not seeing who's saying it. Consider the me of this sentence. Think about this man. Here is God's chosen man who succeeded Moses. He took over for Moses as the visible leader of the nation of Israel. He's been a proven warrior since his youth. He has never once been mentioned in a negative light, unlike Moses' own brother and sister. He has served consistently, fought bravely, worked tirelessly, and led with integrity. Still, still, Joshua says, as for me, you might think, and I want you to think of your most faithful servant that you know here. Just put that person in your mind. And you're going to say about that person in your mind, you're going to go, well, of course that guy's going to serve the Lord. We can always count on so-and-so to be here. He's here at every service. He's here all the time, whenever the door's open. That's a faithful man. He doesn't need to say, as for me, Surely, if there's anyone to be, oh, if there's anyone to be counted on, it's going to be him. But Joshua says, but as for me. And here's the rub. I could furnish you with several biblical examples of men that didn't finish well. Some of you are thinking, uh, it's just because of the leaders I'm around. If I were around, if I were around Jesus, I'd never, I'd, I'd never leave. Really? Okay, Judas. 
Judas was around Jesus. And he betrayed him for the price of a slave. You're thinking, well, okay. Okay, but if I had Paul, if I had Paul, certainly I would never defect. Okay, Demas. There are plenty of men who served the Lord but did not finish well. And of course, I could point out many current examples. In the last few months, men who you once believed would never fall, would never turn away from faithful service to the Lord. And now they're heretics, apostates in some cases, deconversion stories littering the landscape of the internet. There are no automatic servants of God. You cannot put yourself in gear and think you stay there as a Christian. I suggest it would be best to consider the breadth of our service history to the Lord in context with the last day that we lived. Yes, the Lord's going to remember everything you ever did. Whatever you did for the Lord, he's not going to forget. He will reward each of us for those things. But it's best for you and I to forget what we've done and what is behind. Joshua, the long-standing faithful leader says, as for me, without the benefit of knowing how many others will follow him, Joshua reveals that he has made his choice. In fact, the language would read this way. I have chosen and will choose. This is how I have chosen. This is how I will be choosing. This will be my choice. I will be choosing what I've already chosen when I choose again to choose. However you want to put you get what I'm saying? He's, what he's saying is, this is the way it's been. This is the way it's going to be. It's this Joshua who has served all of his life to this present moment. You and I would wish, we would wish for this testimony, don't you think? Don't you want to say this? But he has made his choice. He makes it again. You and I will have to make it again tomorrow and the next day. And every day until we stop drawing breath from these carcasses. That's what he said. Consider when he said it. Listen to Joshua 13, verse 1. Now Joshua was old. Advanced in years. Oh, and this part's really tough. And the Lord said to him, you are old. Advanced in years. That's cold, man. Look, and there remains very much land yet to be possessed. Did you hear that? Joshua, you're old. 
but there's more to get. There's more to do. Scripture and the Lord confirm that this man is an old man. The King James Version, I love it. It says he was stricken in age. How many of us feel stricken in here? Every time you get up, my body is strickening. <laughs> I can hear, you know, I can no longer move stealthily across a room. Everyone can hear me coming from a mile away with all the cricks and creaks. Joshua still has much to do. Jesus tells his servants to do business until he comes. Of course, who isn't also thinking of the phrase from Paul when he wrote to the Philippian believers, not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold for that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind, and if anything else you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. For some, you already possess a clear vision of how you must serve the Lord this year. For others, there will be a holy restlessness. For all that would live godly, there's a heart to be useful, to discover how God will order our steps in this new year. And please take note of that. Our steps, my steps, your steps. Joshua's statement is personal. He's not looking at others. That would mark a sure failure to understand this passage. I think about what Peter said to Jesus right after he had been recommissioned by the Lord on the beach there by Galilee. When he said about John, what about this man? Jesus said, John 21, 23, Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Joshua says, as for me, the nation can do whatever it wants, but I'm going in this direction. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Is that your heart? Joshua speaks of his house. He speaks of his home, his circle of influence. He says, whatever my name is upon, whatever I, whatever part of my reputation precedes my family, it will be that we served the Lord. The reputation among the neighborhood, the social media platforms would all speak of a loyalty to the Lord. Those that served the Lord and his family would find themselves joyful and blessed. Those that did not would be left watching. And what could be said of Joshua's the effect of Joshua's words and actions. Now, you and I, we don't have time, and I'm running out of it now. But Israel did respond. His words and example did have an impact. The men that were listening to this, the women that were gathered here to listen to it, sought to comply. The entire nation at this time leaves this imprint upon the pages of Scripture. Take a look at verse 31. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had known all the works of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. 
Joshua's commitment on this day may have helped to spare the nation a sudden doom. Joshua served the interest of the Lord. And this was the result. He served the Lord and his generation well. Will that be said of you? As the year 2021 dawns before us, what say you? The choice to serve the Lord lies before you right now personally. There are other interests and loves to serve, but are they for you? Did your business die for your sin? Does your sexuality afford you a holy heart and life? Will your security lead you to peace? There are millions of pursuits. Interests to serve, but only God through Christ has given his life for and to you in order that you might be free to live as he created you. Joshua has a rich history of service and a short time left, and he says, as for me and my house, will that be the same for you? What if none will support you? What if it means the death to relationships? No, none go with me. Still, I will follow. I pray that you will find his employ far more joyful and wonderful than you have ever known before and that you will realize just how reasonable and rational it is to serve our faithful master. May it be a banner year for Refuge Bible Fellowship, but for you personally as you make this choice. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be challenged. And Lord, we do remember that we serve because you have done this in us. You work in us to will and to do. You are the one that promotes in our lives a healthy fear and respect. We want to cooperate with what your spirit is saying to us. Right now, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you hear first of all, have never given your life to Jesus. That's the first thing. Before anything else, if you don't have a life with God, God wants to bring you into a relationship with him, but he has to bring you to life because you're dead in your sins. If that's you here today and you would receive the love of Jesus, the forgiveness of sins, to be right with God, if that's you, if there's anyone in here, I'd like you simply to raise your hand and I just want to pray with you. Perhaps there are some that are watching online. And if you're out there, I would just offer this prayer to you. The prayer itself doesn't save you, but the heart behind it will bring you into a relationship with Jesus. I would pray like this. Dear Father, I know that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short of your glory. I know I deserve to be separated from you for all eternity. But today, I put my trust in Jesus Christ. 
I ask you on his behalf to forgive me, to bring me into the family of God as I repent of my sins and any other claim to righteousness. Fill me with your Holy Spirit that I may love, serve, and honor you the rest of my days. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as I talk to each person in here, you've loved the Lord, you've believed upon him, and it's time for you to say, as for me. Maybe you've been putting that off and you've thought, oh, I'm just gonna settle in on my lees, and you're ignoring the things God's calling you to because you're older, or you've done that before. If that's you, let me encourage you. The Lord is still calling you. And if you feel the Lord is tugging at your heart to respond to him in service this year in a new way, i just like to ask you to raise your hand quickly and I just wanna pray for you. I'm not gonna bring you up. I'm not gonna sign you up. I just wanna pray for you. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Got you there. Wonderful. There, thank you. Praise the Lord. Good. Great. Wonderful. Keep your hand up just for a second. I just want to pray for each of you. Father, I thank you for those that are raising their hands. And Lord, in Jesus' name, I ask that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit. Father, you would clarify their places of worship and service to you. And that, God, they would sense an empowering from your Holy Spirit to walk in those ways. I give them to you, Lord. You see their hearts. You see maybe their challenges and their fears, but I thank you, God, that this day they are willing to cooperate with you. Would this be a wonderful year for them as they choose that? Fill them with your spirit, Lord. And bless them as they serve you. In Jesus' name, amen.